We are continuing our sermon series on praying through, and that is praying through the difficulties in life. Just to let you know where we've been, we started last week with the priority of prayer. Now we're going to talk about barriers to prayer. Uh, anybody have any barriers to prayer? I'm chief among you. Uh, that's how I, I actually had to spend extra time editing today because if I listed all my barriers to prayer, we would be here till Monday. And then we're going to go to the model prayer next week. And then finally, the goal of prayer, which seems odd. You think you would start with the goal of prayer. But I think it's necessary to lay a foundation in order to get to where we get to the goal of prayer. So the pandemic has caused a lot of changes in our lives, has it not? Uh, it has caused us to rely more heavily on social media, for example. Uh, the, the heavy reliance on social media has caused us to communicate in different ways or not. So I, I ran across this term. It's not unfamiliar to you, I'm sure. Ghosting. Has anybody heard of ghosting? Yeah, ghosting can mean a lot of things. But in this context, it means the sudden and unexplained stop of communications. And, and nobody knows why. And the reason I say that that's so important now is because with social media, it's really easy to ghost somebody. You just don't answer the phone. You don't answer the text. You don't answer Facebook. You don't, you know, all those other things, Insta-Snap, Facey, Chatagram, all those things that are out there. We just stop talking to each other. And it's really interesting because I have no idea why. I, like I said, a chief among you, I always say that. People ghost me all the time. Now, I, I began to think it was a personality disorder until I realized I have pastor in front of my name. So no wonder. Because here's, here's what happens. It happens all the time. I'm in the midst of a conversation. We've been talking for five minutes. Somebody I meet, and hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm the pastor at Wordsworth Church. And you see that look come across their face. And instantly, they're searching the memory banks. What did I say? Did I say anything embarrassing? Did I, did I commit to anything? <laughs> do I owe him money? No. So I see this all the time. And I say that good people ghost me because you're either afraid. This is my theory. You can confirm or deny you're either afraid I'm going to ask you to do something or you feel bad because you haven't been here in a while. I can't, I ran into, uh, I'm not going to name names. No, I'm not going to name names. I'm, tem <laughs> I'm tempted. I'm not, I'm not. All right. <laughs> so I ran into some people at the grocery store. I, I do have a life outside of church. And uh, you know, I was talking to them. It's been a while since they've been to WordServe. And that, that was the only thing I said, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. It's like, oh, we're coming back. I wasn't even asking that. I just, I just was making an observation. It's been a while since I've seen you. It's great to see you. Oh, we're coming back. We'll be back next week. As though I'm going to punish them or like stalk them or show up on their doorstep and say, where you been? You know, I've, I've been watching the offering. You're a little behind this month and don't make me send Vinny and the boys, okay? None of that's going to happen, right? I was just asking a simple question. But that's why I say people ghost me all the time because of pastor. Okay, maybe his personality too. But Mainly because of that. <laughs> oh, thanks. My moral support section. I'll pay you later. <laughs> but it happens. Ghosting happens all the time. Have, have you experienced ghosting? Maybe this is not just me, right? So it's very easy to do in this, this uh, society of social media and all the things that go on. But let me ask you this. And don't raise your hands on this. Have you ever ghosted God? Have you ever just stopped communicating with him for no known reason? Maybe it's you're afraid that he'll ask you to do something. Maybe it's you're afraid that you haven't been with him in a while. Maybe you're afraid that God's going to say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Where have you been? It's possible to ghost God, but here's the cool thing. 
it's never possible for God to ghost us. Think about that for a second, because when it comes to barriers to prayer, it's all about ghosting God. So anytime that we have a barrier between us and God, guess who put it there? Got some good news and bad news for you. It's not God. It's us. That's the bad news. But it's also the good news because we can fix what we're doing here so that we don't have the barriers to God. So that's what I want to talk about today. By way of review, we talked last week about the purpose of prayer, the priority of prayer, rather, is to align us. So we talked last week about aligning like irrigation so that the Holy Spirit can flow through us and go to where it needs so that it can produce life and light. And if we are not aligned, that Holy Spirit gets puddled out somewhere and somebody's doing really well, but other people not so much. So that alignment is hugely important. And when we don't align personally or as a community called WordServe, somebody's going to suffer. It may or may not be us, but somebody downstream from us is going to look a little bit arid, a little bit withered, a little bit dry. And in the process, we may also. So that's where we come from, and I, I, it's important to say that because it sets the stage for today where we go to 1 John. And for those of you uh, playing the home game, it's way in the back of the Bible. This is not John, as in the Gospel John. This is 1 John. There are three back-in-the-back -back epistles that uh, the Apostle John wrote, they suspect. And John is writing to a culture. He's, he's older now. He's a little more experienced. He's seen a lot in the world. And he's writing to a culture that is dealing with that pulling away from God. Sometimes it's just busyness. Sometimes, though, in this particular case, it's Gnosticism, the, the emphasis on knowledge over the heart, the emphasis on what you know versus the relationship that you're in. And so that's who he's writing this epistle for, people who are struggling with that. Much like the Pharisees, they, they knew a lot, but the relationship, the heart, wasn't quite right. So this is the, the setting in which John writes these words. And we're going to read from chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. These are the words of God. They are for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. John is on to something here. John is saying he's writing this so that we will not sin. Now, it's important to point that out because what I'm about to say involves a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness. And it's an unending grace and forgiveness because it comes from God. And it's easy to take that unending grace and forgiveness and say something like, Ooh, it doesn't really matter what I do because God will forgive me. Sounds pretty appealing, doesn't it? What if I told you there was a, a group of people called the Libertines, which were uh, declared heretics centuries ago for that very thought? Anybody feel like burning at the stake? Yeah, no, me either. So we, we tend to take it pretty loosely that God's forgiveness is always there, and it is. And that's a fact. That's the truth. That's what this word says. But read the rest of 1 John. We, like I said, read in circles. Read a little bit before, a little bit after, a little bit before, a little bit after, until you get the whole context. And you'll see John is saying, because of the relationship that you have, because of what Christ has done, if you love him, you'll obey him. It's not a license to sin. So I just need to say that up front as we begin to talk about some of this 
uh, barrier to prayer that involves us falling short. So he says, do not sin. But if you do, we have an advocate. That advocate is Jesus Christ, none other than the Son of the living God, who's at the right hand of the Father and will advocate on our behalf. Folks, we have the best defense criminal trial attorney in the universe fighting for us. And then he goes on to say that there's this uh, uh, the advocate with the Father, but he is the atoning sacrifice, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Uh, atoning is not a word that we use a lot today. Uh, and I think we should use it more. Just if you can work it into everyday conversations, that'd be awesome. In fact, I challenge you, try to use the word atonement or atoning in a conversation this week. I'm totally kidding. Nobody uses that word anymore, but it's important that we know what it means. So if you look at the word atonement, you can break it apart. At one ment. And that's not meant. That's anyway. So at one. So what Christ's sacrifice does is it takes us who are distanced from God and brings us back together as one. That's what this sacrifice does. Why is it important to, to recognize that? Well, <clears throat> because I, I am convinced that some of the barriers to guilt, or to, to prayer, I just gave it away, darn it. Some of the barriers to, to, prayer, barriers to prayer are guilt. That's one of them. Now, guilt is, yeah, clearly I've missed the mark, and I feel bad. I, I did something bad. But if you just heard this right, there, there's already a sacrifice. There's already a defense attorney at, at work for us in this process. So rest assured that whatever you've done, you cannot run the love of God. The other one that often comes up is shame. Now, there's an interesting relationship in my mind, and you may agree or disagree, but guilt says, I did bad. I did something bad. Shame is a continuation of that or, or a guilt so great that we shift that to not just I did bad, but I am bad. And when we're talking about the holy of holies, the God of the universe, the, the one who is so pure and holy, if we feel shame, if we feel that we are bad and we cannot approach that throne, then we will not pray. And when we don't pray, guess who wins? The enemy. Uh, again, to review a little bit from last week, if there's one thing that the enemy could do to thwart God's plan, it's to disrupt communications. Because an organization that can't communicate can't organize. And an organization that can't organize around a cohesive theme can't perform. Uh, imagine the body, the physical body. Your body communicates. Your brain says, lift your right foot. And it does it. But what if my body stopped communicating? What if I became totally discommunicated? I don't think that's a word in physical terms. You know what I mean, though, right? What if my body stopped listening to my brain? I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even get off the stage. I couldn't even stand. That's what happens to the body of Christ when we stop communicating. But listen, even if you did bad, even if you think you are bad, you're not more bad than God's love is greater. Okay, that's where we started this whole thing today. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God sent his son to save the whole world. Uh, that includes you. And if we don't believe that we can approach the throne of God, no matter what we've done, no matter how we feel about ourselves, 
then we're either ignorant or arrogant. Now, let me explain what I mean before you take offense. Ignorant doesn't mean you're stupid. No, we're very intelligent people. It doesn't mean we're stupid. It means we're uninformed. We're uninformed that whatever we've done, that we're comparing us to the creator of the universe. We're saying that what I did was so bad that not even the creator of the universe could fix it or overlook it or forgive it or put grace on it. That's uninformed. So now you know God's love is greater still. And if, you, if we persist in this, you know, I, I'm so bad. God wouldn't want me in his presence. I can't be around that. Then we're arrogant. Because we're basically saying that I can do things that not even the creator of the universe can fix. That's not true either, folks. There's a love that is so great, so wide, so deep, so tall, whatever you want to call it, that it will meet you where you are in the effort to bring you back in. That's what grace is really all about. And that's why guilt and shame <clears throat> have no place. <clears throat> so what do we do with this? <clears throat> a lot of times we just need to confess. I'm throwing up a prayer of confession. In fact, I'm going to ask us if we would like to pray this together as we do communion today. It's a standard one in our liturgy. You've probably seen it before if you've been around any length of time. I'm just going to let you read through that as I talk because I know you don't listen to me anyway. You're going to go to a happy place. So... Feel free to read while I chatter on. <laughs> but here's the thing with confession. <clears throat> Who do you think confession is for? You know, when you sin against the Holy of Holies, the God of the universe, the one who is omnipotent, omniscient, and all those alms, don't you think he knows what we did already? So why would I need to confess? Look, if I did something bad... I'm supposed to go to God and tell him I did something bad? Doesn't he already know that? No, the answer is, yeah, he already knows it. So then what's the purpose of confession? Confession's not for God. Confession is for us. Confession is me admitting that I have fallen short. Me going to the Holy of Holies, the creator of the universe, saying, I blew it. I know that. I own that. And once I know it and I own it, then I can change that. It's in that moment of confession where we stand before the creator of the universe that we recognize that we're not all that, that we've fallen short, that he is that holy and pure. And that can, if we leave it there, that makes us feel really bad until we finish the rest of what we read in, in John 2 this morning, 1 John 2. There's an advocate that's already at work. There's an atoning sacrifice that has already taken care of that. So yeah, come boldly before the throne. Don't stop talking to God because of what you did or how you feel about yourself. I'm more and more convinced the more trips I take around the sun that it's less and less about what I did and more and more about what he did on the cross. And that's all we need to remember. Now, sounds easy, but it's hard to remember. I get that. But that's why we support one another in this whole process. That's why we do prayers and confessions so that at that moment we recognize that not only do I need help, I need a Savior. And in that recognition of needing a Savior, we come face to face with the Savior. That's where hearts are changed. That's where lives are changed. And it's all based on that communication, not being afraid to come boldly before the throne, to talk with God, to establish and control and, and reinforce that relationship. 
that's the whole point that I wanted to try to make today. So as we go forward this, how do we apply all this? Well, let me offer you two suggestions going forward. The first is choose the king. There are a lot of choices out there today, especially now with the advent of social media and all the other things that are out there. Choose the king first. You've heard this before. Seek first the kingdom of God. Does that sound familiar? You can find that in Matthew chapter 6. So that all these other things will be added to you is what the rest of that verse says. But if we don't choose the king first, we're likely to listen to something else. We're likely to not have time for that conversation or be so distracted that the conversation with the king never happens. And what happens in that case? Well, we're talking with, organizing with, performing with whoever we're talking to. And if we're not talking to the creator of the universe, who are we talking to? Then we have a pretty clear choice. We can choose hell or we can choose heaven just by our conversations. Whoa. You may agree or disagree, but that's where it starts. I'm convinced. So choose the king. The second one is be present with the king. Don't let what you thought you did keep you. And I've made this point already, so I'm not going to say too much more on this other than to say, God's not waiting for you to get your act together so that you can be present with him. Look in Romans 5, 8, and it will tell you the whole process here and, and what we really need to know because it says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that not the best news ever? Right? Because he's not waiting for me to get my act together. He's not saying, Hogan, polish up your act, stand up straight, stop doing that, and then we'll talk. He's like, brother, I got you. Or sister, I got you. Right where you are. He says, come as you are, but he also says, go and sin no more. So there is a transformative process that happens there. He's going to reach out to wherever you are, but not for the purpose of keeping you there. He's going to want to move you. He might ask things of you. He might stir your heart. Put something on your heart that is so heavy you can't not do something about it. That's a calling, by the way. And he might put you in a group of people that are determined to do something about that and maybe serve the world. He might ask you to step outside of your comfort zone. He might do all of that. I hope he does. Because in that, we find real life. We find a life that is different. That's our word serve tagline. I hope that sounds familiar. So choose the king. Be present with the king regardless. Know that there are no barriers. And if apathy is one of those last things I wanted to talk about, I just don't, I don't have time for that stuff. Man, watch the passion of the Christ. Spend just a minute contemplating what Jesus went through, regardless of how you feel about him. Recognize there was a historical man, fully God, fully human, but a historical man that went through that for us. And then tell me you don't care. I, I don't know. I have no words for that. I, I got nothing for you. But apathy, when you see the Savior, not just in seated in the neck, right hand of God, but the process that he went through to be the atoning sacrifice. I can't not care. So I invite you to practice these two things. We're going through a thing called the 30-Day Prayer Challenge. If you've got uversion.com, you can download it. It's a free Bible app. If you don't have it, you can download it. If you do, look for this 30-Day Prayer Challenge by Dr. Jack Graham. 
I'm inviting WordServe to go through this together so we can have a common experience in this. It's super uh, helpful to you because it gives you daily reminders whenever you tell it to. It's a devotion, it's scripture, it's an opportunity to pray. In other words, it's an opportunity to talk to God and be present with the King. So I invite you to do that as we uh, go forward. This is the day of all days, so I'm going to put the, uh, the prayer of confession back up there for just a second. That makes this sermon so powerful, or could make this sermon so powerful. Because I've been talking about guilt and shame and all the things that we think we do that keep us from talking to the God who is so pure and holy that we can't even imagine. Well, it's because we couldn't even imagine that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And it's because we needed that atoning sacrifice that Christ did what he did. He walked this earth, had the same temptations we did, yet lived a sinless life. He could have defended himself and gotten out of anything, but he chose not to. He chose to take that road to the cross. And it was a road that not even the disciples understood at the moment. But as they sat down at that table at that last night, they sat around a table and he gave a hint of what was coming, whether they got it or not, because he took the bread at that table and he gave thanks to God and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ who is whole was made broken so that we who are broken might be made whole, the body of Christ. After supper, he took the cup, he gave thanks to God, and he passed it to them and said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the sins of many. Take and drink. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. See, Christ, who was full, was made empty so that we who are empty might be made full the blood of Christ. Will you pray with me, please? God Almighty, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.